On the surface, what does that mean? I'm already alive. What does it mean he's going to give us me life and that more abundantly? It's one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Just what is that life? The life that he promises to give us. Um, there's an amazing story that we're going to read today in John chapter 11. This is part seven, our final uh, segment of, our, of this seven-part series um, we're calling the Book of Signs. It's called that because the first half of the Gospel of John are a series of seven signs that all teach us something about the Messiah, something about our Savior, something about Jesus Christ. And today, well, if you have John chapter 11 open, if we look at verse 25, which really isn't part of our text, this kind of summarizes in Jesus' own words what he's trying to teach us here in John 11. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. Now here's another paradox. The, uh, Jesus is kind of a contradiction of terms, of concepts. He who believes in me, and we all want to believe in Jesus, will live even though he die. How do you explain that to someone that's not already born again, filled with the Spirit? You're going to live even though you die. Is, is that good news or is it not good news? We need to think about this. And the story we're about to learn, I think, will help us get a grasp of this resurrection and the life. Because the story reveals the sign is that He is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Not the church we go to or the lifestyle we have. He is the resurrection and the life. We have to have a personal relationship with Him. So we're in this um, story in uh, John chapter 11 about Lazarus. And uh, let, me, let me check my notes because it seems to me there's something I'm supposed to be saying I didn't say yet before I get going on the first part. Oh yeah, two interesting things about this particular story uh, that makes it kind of sets it apart. The first is Jesus delayed getting there to take care of Lazarus intentionally, on purpose. He deliberately stayed away until Lazarus was dead, and then he came intentionally delayed stepping in to the problem. How many ever felt like Jesus is deliberately delaying stepping into your situation? He just, I got this big problem, I'm talking to him, I'm calling for him, I'm inviting him to come, but he's intentionally waiting and staying away. The second thing that's evident in this story that I think is worth us commenting on is this, this is the time where Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. But He's crying. Can you, can you picture God crying? 
You see, these, these tears are the human side of Jesus. He is completely God, 100%, but He is also completely human, 100%. And when He saw the grief of others, when, when He was witnessing the effects of sin and death in this world, He wept, He cried, He sobbed. That's His humanity. But He's also deity. That's where the Lazarus come forth comes from. Didn't come from his human side. If, if he could do that as a human, we could do it as a human. It came from his divine side, the God side of him. This is why we as humans desperately need God in our life. Because he is the resurrection and the life. Okay, so now I want to get into the story. And I want us to see five phases or stages of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it's a word picture of you and I and our spiritual breakthrough, our spiritual resurrection, our spiritual journey in life. It's a, it's a, be- it's a beautiful picture of me and my story as I look back on my encounter with Christ and my journey along the way. Okay, let's look at the first, first part here. It's in verses 38 and 39 of the story. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Four days dead typically ends up with a bad odor. I remember one time years ago, my wife and I lived in an old farmhouse a quarter of a mile from where we live today, and we had a chocolate lab, and our lab drug up a dead possum she found down on the road. I think it had been a little bit more than four, four days, but it's a good illustration. The dog drug the thing up and, and put it right beside the house. And back in those days, Anita would leave the windows wide open, even on hot days, because there's always a nice breeze coming out of the west. Well, it was the west side of the house. The dog laid that dead possum. And Anita couldn't figure out what was smelling so bad in the house. She hunted around. She finally she found that thing out there. She got an old steel wash tub we had around and put that wash tub over it to keep the odor from coming through the house. And she waited till I got home. <laughs> I walked in the door. She said, the dog drug a surprise up for me. It's right outside. Sun had been shining on that wash tub all day long. <laughs> I went out to see what the surprise was. I flipped that wash tub and I just about died. I mean, I ran away from there as quick as I could. I had to hold my nose and get a shovel. I understand a little bit about what four days dead means. So here's the first blank if you want to fill in. This is what I'm going to call the indigent 
phase, the indigent phase. Webster's Dictionary defines indigent as suffering from extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Having nothing. Completely broke, completely bankrupt. In the bank of heaven, you and I, in our pre-Christian days, were indigent. In extreme poverty. We had nothing to offer God. Why should God be interested in the stink that comes out of someone dead and rotting and decaying. You can take a rotten potato and put it in the fridge, and it'll slow down the decay process, but it will never heal it. Right? That rot is already rotted. It's just going to continue to rot. Take it out of the fridge, and it'll speed it up. Because the potato has rot within it. Just like you and I have a thing called sin within us. And it rots within us. This is the indigent phase of Lazarus. He's been dead for days. Decay has already begun in his body. And Jesus, in that atmosphere tells him roll away the stone take it away I wonder what those people around the stone are thinking when he tells them to roll it away I'm, they're probably thinking what I wished I'd have thought before I looked under the wash tub not knowing what was under there and notice he got an immediate argument Lord, you can't do that, Martha says. He's been dead for four days. We all know enough about life and death to know that that's, you don't want to roll the stone away. What's in there isn't pleasant. We put the stone there for a reason. We've already had the viewing. People have already come by and seen Lazarus lying there. Now we put him in the tomb and we've sealed it up. What does Jesus want to do? Come and view the body? You don't want to do that now, Jesus. It's too late. You came too late. Do we agree that Jesus, if he wanted to, could have rolled the stone away himself? Like all he had to do was point a finger over there and roll it away and it would have moved. But he didn't do that. He could have raised Lazarus right through the stone, couldn't he? I mean, he's God. But he didn't do it that way. He could have called down the angels of heaven to come and move the stone. But he didn't do it that way. He says to the people standing around, people like you and I, you roll the stone away. This is a barrier between life and death. This is a barrier between rot and health. Move that barrier out of the way. And who does he say to do it? You and me. If we want to see more Lazaruses come out of their, 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 the rot of their sin, 
somebody's got to move the barrier away. Because there is a spiritual, psychological barrier that people have. They're not, they, they think it's wonderful that God's touched us, but they really don't think it's possible for God to touch themselves. Somebody's got to move that barrier out of the way. Roll the stone away. God could have done all kinds of miraculous things, but he chooses to use partnership with people like us. He doesn't do things to set people free except in response to empowering people like you and I who get actively involved, roll up our sleeves, and actually move the stone. We're the people that then see the life, the resurrection, and the life. All right, so that's the first phase, the indigent phase. He's in the tomb. He is rotting, which is what sin does. The wages of sin is death. He is rotting away. That's the indigent stage. Broke, bankrupt, extreme poverty. That's where I once was. I remember it. In my head, I knew the gospel. But it wasn't down. It wasn't life within me. I was indigent. If you can remember those days, say amen. Amen. All right, let's go to the second part of our story, the second phase of the resurrections, verses 40 through 43. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love this part. This this is... uh, This is what I'm going to call the invitation phase. Lazarus, come out. Now, Lazarus has a choice. Once once the invitation has been given, he can stay in his tomb, wallowing in his stink, or he can come out. The stone's been rolled away. Jesus just makes a proclamation. Lazarus, come out. Now, Lazarus has some say-so in this. He didn't have to come out. He can just stay there. This is the invitation stage. Now, um, it says earlier before the story that the purpose Jesus is doing this is to create belief, to inspire belief in the people that are watching. He prays out loud to inspire belief. He gives us a story to tell to inspire belief to those outside. If we don't tell our story, we're not inspiring them with the grace of God and what he's done for us. We've got to tell our story. So notice this. He told them to roll the stone away. And after they roll the stone away, he pauses. He delays again. 
and he prays. It says he lifted up his eyes. What's he looking at? What's up there? This is a visual to everybody who he's talking to. He's not talking to them. I, I hear some people, they come to me with a prayer request, and it's obvious they want me to fix it. I can't fix it. It's going to have to be God. Let's take this to God together. Because as soon as they get done telling me their prayer request, they go to somebody else and give the same prayer request. And then go to somebody else with the same prayer request. It's like they don't get around to ever thinking God's the only one who can answer this. It's not people. So he lifted up his eyes and he says, Father. Now this is a new concept. Nobody ever called God Father. There's always El Shaddai or Elohim or one of those Hebrew names that they knew him by. They never called him Father. <coughs> Their father was Abraham. But Jesus looks up, up at the heavens and says, Father, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Because God was never called Father until He had a son. And once Jesus, His son, was born, Jesus begins calling Him Father, teaching us. Because we're joint heirs with Christ, we are also born again sons of Christ, adopted into the family. We can now call Father, Father. So He looks up, Father, and then he starts his prayer with this. This is a good model. I thank you. I don't hear a lot of people thanking God in their prayers. I hear people asking God for this and asking God for that. And sometimes we ramp up our prayers and we command God to do this. We command the angels to do that because we think we got some authority. But when's the last time you just started your prayer with thanking God for the everyday things that he does in your life? Maybe, maybe if God knows you don't appreciate His involvement in your life now, He knows you won't really appreciate His involvement in your life after the prayer. Maybe we just need to spend a little more time looking at our life. Is there something in your life you have never taken the time to thank God for? Have you ever thanked God for that car you drive with that air conditioner? Have you ever thanked God for that? I mean, we just take those things for granted. I mean, I paid for the car, right? It was my, my time paid for it. Yeah, but I'm thankful I live in the 21st century Amen. where I have a car with an air conditioner. My great-grandparents didn't have that option. They had air conditioning all the time in the buckboard. Okay, so he prays. And then after his prayer, he says in a loud voice. He didn't mumble like some people say their prayers. He says this in a loud voice. Now I presume it was louder than when he said, roll the stone away. Because it was the people farthest away from him that would have heard him say, roll the stone away. But now it says, he says in a loud voice. Like he's shouting, 
why would he have to say it so loud? The stone's been rolled away. I think it's because inside that tomb is rot and stink. There's no life in there. And when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, he's calling his spirit in a faraway place to come back into that decayed body. And he has to speak to the faraway place to wake up Lazarus' soul to come back into his body. That's how you get resurrection. You got to have the body and soul functioning together. So Jesus speaks it. It's a command that comes out of his mouth. Lazarus, come out of there. Don't stay in there anymore. Come out. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, there was a centurion officer who was pretty good at giving orders. And he says to Jesus, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. You don't have to come to my house. You don't have to do anything special. Just say the word and things happen in the heavenlies. Things happening happen in the spiritual domain. Just say the word. This is why we value this book. And we keep coming back to the Bible again and again and again because we are trying to find out what his word is saying to us. Speak the word and it'll be done. So I want to know what's he saying to me? How do I need to line up with his will? Earlier in John, in John chapter 5 verse 25, we read this. Most assuredly I say to you, Jesus is speaking, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's that contrast between death and life again. The time, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. A physically dead person can't hear the voice of God, but a spiritually dead person can. So he's talking about spiritual resurrection, spiritual life. The time is coming and now is. It's here today, church. Amen. 2018, in the middle of the summer. Those who are dead will hear and live. The life brings, this life comes alive to us. So this is the invitation phase. But I want to go, it progresses. I want us to see the next phase in the first half of verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. This is what I call the invalid phase. He's alive. He's breathing. He's able to function, but he's all wrapped up in these grave clothes. He's moving. He's got some action. He's going someplace but he can't really function. I remember those days my, in, when I was in that invalid stage. I had, 
Uh, I had heard the gospel. I had accepted the gospel. I had received it. They had prayed for me and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I knew things were real, but I still had this baggage. You see, I had some habits that I had developed from my pre-Christian days, and those things still had a hold on me. And I knew I shouldn't be doing these things, but they still pulled and tugged on my heart. I had a problem with that. It was a struggle. The struggle began when the Holy Spirit came in. It was a battle for my old, or over the old nature. The old nature. For 24 years of my life, I had lived according to the old nature. The Spirit of God came into me when I was 24, and I knew my, li- my old life wasn't the right one. I wanted the new life, but I had a hard time because I was all wrapped up in the grave clothes. All wrapped up in bondage to the way it used to be, to the way I used to do it. Romans 6.23. Do we have that? Yeah. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see how many times it talks about in the Bible that contrast between life and death? We naturally are dead Four days dead, stinking, rotting in the tomb. As God looks at us, all he sees is stink. But Jesus wants us to live, have this life. So grave clothes. What kind of grave clothes might we still be wearing that need to be taken off? I jotted three things down. Number one, unforgiveness. You know, you can't live in a, in, in a world full of sin and not have people do you wrong. You can't live in a world full of sin and not do other people wrong. So you got the baggage of unforgiveness and they got the baggage of unforgiveness. You can't really walk in the freedom of Christ looking back on the unfairness of the world and how other people treated you bad and how mad you are at them. You can't go through life carrying this grudge you got to say, I was a sinner. I reaped the fruit of my sin. Now I'm changing my life. I'm walking away from that. I'm not going to, I'm going to separate from, I'm going to take that item of grave clothes off. Here's another one. Unbelief. I remember the struggles I had. I was, I, I believed in Christ and I was all excited. I, but I had a hard time getting my mind around the resurrection. I mean, I knew there was a spiritual resurrection because I'd, I'd seen that spiritual change in me. But can God really take a body that's been dead three or four days and bring it back to life again? My, my mind and what I had learned in school just didn't register. I couldn't get my mind around that. I thought there had to be some, some kind of confusion in the way the Bible was translated. My unbelief was holding me back. It was the old man still have it has attached to me. I needed to sever that. Here's the third one. Unrighteousness. I know God's holy. I know that. And I knew what my life had been. And I could not help but say to myself, how can God work through anybody like me? How can that be? So I held myself back. I did not 
attempt to move forward in pleasing him because I, I figured I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for God to use. And it just became the way I thought about myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough education. Don't have enough money. Uh, I got baggage from my past. There's no way God can use somebody like me. And so I saw myself in unrighteousness, even though I understood the Bible says my righteousness is in Christ. I didn't get it yet. I was in that invalid stage. But thank the Lord it doesn't stay there. Uh, let's look at the last part of verse 44. Here's the fourth phase of the resurrection. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Was he praying to God now? No. He's talking to people like you and me. Somebody help that poor man. Somebody go over there and take those stinking rags off of him because he's resurrected. He's new on the inside. Get that stink off. Start taking off the grave clothes because Lazarus in his invalid stage can't do it. He can't get them off. He doesn't know how to get them off. He's wrapped up in the smell of the old man and he can't get free. Somebody go help that guy. This is where the church comes in. Somebody go help that poor guy, that poor woman, take off the grave clothes, open her eyes, help her see how she needs to live, what she needs to know, help her get free. This is what the church does. Amen. Or this is what the church should do. We need to spot the people that stink from their old life and help get the old grave clothes off so that they can shine like new because everyone born again is new, a new cre creation. So Jesus orders, let him go, set him free, release him so he can be what God wants him to be. This is where the church comes in. And, and note, this is no miracle. This is hard work. Somebody's got to approach a dysfunctional person and help them get functional again. There's a cost in that. You might get a little bit of that stink on your own hands. There's a cost in that. This is where the church comes in. This is what we do. This is, we are the body of Christ. We are His hands and His feet. And this story is trying to teach us this. Uh, last night in prayer meeting, Candy Hoover had, a, had a, a vision, and she shared it, and she didn't know what it meant. But I had already prepared for the message. I knew exactly what it meant. She said she saw this sheet of plexiglass, and this big hammer come down and strike the plexiglass. And it, it kind of... Um, just, just got these cracks, massive cracks all over them. It was still together, but there was this, these cracks all over it. And then she saw several hands come and push the plexiglass and it broke. And I, as soon as she told that story, I knew exactly what that was saying. It's a partnership. God has the power to crack the stronghold. You and I have to come along and open it up. If we don't open it up, it'll just stay cracked. It'll never open up. 
God, help us to open up, open up the kingdom of God for what he wants to do. I remember some years ago, I found a note recently in an old file, a little note I made to myself that we had 74 kids on a bus that we brought in from Butler. 74 kids on a 66 passenger bus, plus the workers that we had to have on there to keep those kids from killing each other. And we brought them in. And, and I remember I made that note because this is a problem. This can't sustain itself. Something's got to happen. And an amazing thing happened. Because we had, you know, we, we had to ask ourselves, do we buy another bus? What do we do? And an amazing thing happened we didn't even plan for. Two churches in Butler got jealous and went out and bought buses and started running bus routes in Butler themselves. Two of them. That's great for me. I'm okay with that because I'm not in the competition business. And I know that those kids were busing from seven miles away to come to our church probably aren't going to end up in our church. If they're going to go to a church someplace, it's going to be in their own community. So when I learned that there were two buses now on the streets in Butler picking up kids, we just discontinued running to Butler. I love it when God puts a plan together. I don't care how those kids get to church. I just want to make sure they get there. I found that note. I thought I'd share that story. As I look back, I can see all the pieces coming together. Here's a so this is what I'm calling the inclusion phase. The inclusion phase or stage that the people that, that Lazarus had to be included. People had to get involved. There had to be some kind of inclusion. When, when the saints of God come together, we call it church. Whether they meet in a church building or whether they, they meet in an assembly hall someplace that's rented, it doesn't matter. When the saints come together, that's church. We are the church, the hands and feet, the body of Christ. So we need to include people. Nothing is sadder than when I get a message, and I've, I've gotten these messages over the years, that that our church was not friendly, that, they, that somebody came to our church to check it out, they attended a service, and not one person shook their hand or made them feel welcome. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Our church? Maybe, maybe, maybe you came in here with a ship on your shoulder in the first place, because I don't see our church being like that. But maybe we all need to ask ourselves, am I like that? If that person who comes in here feeling afraid whether they're going to be accepted or not, and we don't take the edge off that, that's my fault. That's, that's our fault individually. Inclusion. Somebody who's just been brought out of the tomb has got to be accepted and brought in. They've got to be included. Okay, here's number five. I'll wrap it up with this. The last phase, it's in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. There was belief. There was now acceptance in the good news. This is what I call the influential stage. 
Lazarus started out in the indigent stage. He was dead four days. Nothing to, to offer God at all. But he ends up in the influential stage because now what's happened to him begins to influence other people. Other people want to taste the same thing. If Lazarus has tasted life, they want to taste life. And it begins to spread. Begins, becomes contagious. Everybody else wants some of that. The phrase, the wages of sin is death, is Satan's power. The phrase, resurrection and the life, is God's power. Satan wants to take away life and suppress it. Jesus came to give life and put it inside of us. And notice he says, I am the resurrection and the life. There's a difference. The resurrection is what happened to me when I, I, I read that article about that, that prayer about inviting Jesus to come into your life, inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your life. I never heard about that from the church I grew up in. The Holy Spirit, what's that? But I said that prayer and I invited the Spirit to come into my life. And I literally, I physically felt a weight lift off my shoulders. I breathed a little deeper. I understand now that's when I was born again. I had a long way to go, but that's when I was resurrected. At that time, my eyes were opened and I began looking in the spiritual direction. But life is when that resurrection takes root. And begins to deal with the grave clothes. And begins to find an inclusion and acceptance in the body of Christ. Where we can grow together. I help someone else grow. Someone else helps me grow. We need this. We're, we're parts of the body of Christ together. We need each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17. says, for the Lord himself will come down. Future from when he was saying it will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's not up here, but the very next verse says, comfort one another with these words. It doesn't say confuse one another with these words. It says comfort one another with these words. One of these days, Jesus is coming back again. Amen. And those that have died in Christ are going to be raised first. And then those of us who are left behind, those of us that are still here when he comes back, are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. If that doesn't mean what I think it means, I don't know what it means. I want to make sure I'm in Christ. I really have come to the point there was, there was a point when I was so excited about that trumpet call and I was going to get raptured up. And, and there, was, there was a time when I, I thought, I, that's got to happen. I can't die. That's got to happen. <clears throat>
I've come to the point by now I don't really care. If the trumpet sounds, I'm ready to go. If I die first, I'm going to beat everybody else. Isn't that what it says? I win. I win either way. You win either way. That good news? Let's stand together. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is what first happens to you when you first open your life. The life is what happens over the long haul as we submit ourselves to Him and allow Him to guide us and close these doors and open these doors and manage these affairs of our life and little by little takes off the grave clothes so that we can look more and more like Jesus. That's what He's doing in your life. That's why you're going through those snags, you know, because He wants to develop life inside of us. So have you opened your life to Him? Have, have you done that? Is that something that you've personally done? Because that life doesn't begin until you've opened yourself to Him. And the life continues only as we continue to allow Him to develop that, that life in us. So if you've not made that conversation with God, maybe you need to have that conversation with Him. Just surrender. Just give it up and watch what He'll do in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for men and women, boys and girls all across this room, Father, who have uh, heard this invitation, this challenge about the resurrection and the life. Help us, Lord, to not just believe it in our head. Help us to practice it and live it out and see the Spirit of God at work in each of us. Lord, help the world around us, the dark world that doesn't understand this is real, Help them to see something in us that would make them to want to follow you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We've got some prayer partners that will be up here in front to, to pray with you if you have a prayer need. Go with God. He loves you.